0: well we've been looking at some of the biblical roads and this morning we're gonna look at another road in Matthew chapter 7 so take your Bibles join me as we uh, look at this section of what we call the Sermon on the Mount Matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 we've looked at some of the roads like the Gaza Road the Emmaus Road the Jericho Road just to name a few of them we've looked at some of the things that have happened on those roads This is a different kind of road that Jesus is talking about. Uh, Beth Thompson did a good job with our children of introducing what that road is all about. So follow along with me as we read Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13. Enter the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Away from me, you evildoers. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, through the years of my life, either as a child or certainly as an adult, I've had the opportunity and the privilege to either travel to or actually travel to by way of car specifically and to drive around many places in our country so through the years I've maneuvered the freeways of Los Angeles and Chicago I've driven in downtown New York City and Boston I've traversed New Orleans and Dallas and I've driven the internet interstate uh, system of our country to get to many of those places All of those cities that I've just named and the way that you get to those cities by car, in my judgment, are very stressful places to drive. If you've ever driven a car in any of those locations or something like it, you know it's a stressful place to drive. But I think the most stressful place that I've ever driven are those tight, and narrow bridges that sometimes go across our nation's waterways and our rivers have any of you ever been on some of those bridges and some of the bridges just are not several hundred yards or a half a mile i've driven on some of the bridges that went on for miles and miles and miles now the reason those bridges for me are stressful is because i understand that if I run off the road just a little bit onto the shoulder, the shoulder, in fact, is a one-way ticket down to the water that is beneath you, which makes driving those, those tight bridges, I think, additionally stressful. So I like broad, and I like wide roads with plenty of space to maneuver. I don't care too much for the narrow roads and bridges that we have to drive on so you see when i read this text this week i didn't like hearing too much of what jesus had to say in this particular text that small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life I like the broad roads, I like the wide roads, I didn't like hearing that narrow and small is the road that leads to life, and what was even more discouraging to read is that few there are that find it. Now what's that all about? Why is that the case? But you see, if you keep reading this text, you get a little bit more information. Because Jesus says in the text, watch out for false prophets. And in essence, he's he's saying, don't so much pay attention just to the false prophet's words. Pay attention to their fruit. Pay attention to their behavior. Pay attention to what they do. Then Jesus goes on and talks about good trees bearing good fruit. Bad trees bearing bad fruit. Once again, pay attention not so much to what someone says, but pay attention and watch what someone does. You see, Jesus is talking about the narrow and small road of following Jesus and the obedience that is required, practicing what you say you believe and not just saying what you believe. Now, you know, it's really easy to say you believe in something, isn't it? But it's a totally different thing to practice what we say we believe. Practicing what you say you believe is the real test of the belief. For instance, if I tell you that I believe in gravity, you may wonder if I really believe in it if I go up in an airplane and jump out of it without a parachute. You have every reason to question whether I believe in gravity. By the way, you can be assured, I'll never jump out of an airplane if at all possible, even with a parachute. But you would have every reason to believe if I trusted and believed in gravity if I jump out of a plane without a parachute I can tell you that I believe in taking care of my body but if I don't ever exercise if I don't eat well nutritionally use my body with tobacco or alcohol or drugs you have a lot of reason to question whether I really believe in taking care of my body I can tell you that I believe in financial responsibility. I believe in the value of education. I believe in taking good care of my family. But you know, if I'm drowning in credit card debt, or if I'm enrolled in a course of study and failing all of the courses, and if I seldom, if ever, spend time with my family, you've got a lot of reason to wonder if I really believe in all of those three things. I can tell you that I believe in worship. I believe in reading and studying the Bible. I really believe in prayer. I really believe in sharing my faith with other people in Jesus. I really believe in being a generous giver of my time and my talents and my money. But you know, if I seldom, if ever, do any of those things, you have every right to question whether I really believe in them or not. When we began our time of worship this morning, you may have noticed we sang a hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now that trust part I like because that's my ticket into heaven, right? You have faith and you trust and you believe in Jesus and you make him your Lord and Savior and that's your ticket into heaven, but now that obedience part I think I can do without. Trust and obey, do you really believe there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey? That's why the writer Dallas Willard in his book The Divine Conspiracy says, he writes that the essential task of the church in the 21st century is teaching people and helping people how to combine faith or trust in Jesus with obedience. Because the church is very famous, or should we say infamous, for talking out of one side of our mouth and doing something entirely different. And don't think for a moment that there are not people who are standing around you and me every day and they're watching us. And the H word comes to mind. That word called hypocrite. Where you say one thing and you do something else. That's why Dallas Willard says, putting the two together, faith and obedience. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Now you see, Jesus' words as we move through this text makes a little more sense now, doesn't it? Not everyone, Jesus says, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of the heavens. Well, I thought all you had to do was just say, I believe in Jesus. I just call him Lord. It's really interesting that in this text, Jesus does not make accepting him as Lord and Savior the defining factor of discipleship, of following him. It's interesting in this text that Jesus doesn't make correct belief or right doctrine, orthodoxy. He doesn't make any of that the defining factor of following him. What he makes is the defining factor of being his disciples, his student, his follower, is doing all the things he's been talking about in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Homework assignment. You were not ready for the homework assignment, were you? Homework assignment. Go home this afternoon and read everything that Jesus said to do in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Not just saying you believe all of these things in Matthew 5, 6, or 7, but doing all the things that Jesus said to do in Matthew 5, 6, or 7 is the defining factor of being his student, his follower. It's called obedience. On that day of judgment, You believe in a day of judgment you believe in a day of accountability you believe in a day of personal evaluation well on that day of accountability and judgment and I'm going to put it into our language today many of us may stand in front of God and say Lord didn't I teach a Sunday school class in your name wasn't I part of one of the small groups that Blair Vick just talked to us about God, didn't I go on a mission trip? I didn't go just on one. I went on two or three. I shared Jesus with other people. I was generous in the giving of my money. Didn't I do all of those things in your name? And the word that's going to come back to every one of us is, but did you do the will of my Father who is in heaven? You see, it's just not the religious doctrine. It's not just the right belief. It's just not the rituals of our faith that we do. But are we putting into practice all of the things that Jesus taught us to do in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as an example? A lot of you know that I play tennis, and I love to watch tennis on television, love to play the game. And a couple of years ago, I was watching a tennis tournament, and there was a top. 10 player playing in one of the majors i'm trying to remember if it was the french open or the wimbledon and this top 10 player was clearly being outplayed by a lesser opponent and that player was frustrated and you know how it is when when you're playing against someone competitively and you know you're better than the other individual but the other person's outplaying you and finally at some point in the match this top 10 player hits a critical shot that really turns the course of the match in his favor and I thought it was fascinating to see what he did after he hit the point Of course the crowd goes wild you know they're pulling for him to get back into the match the first thing he does this is all on national television, you know global television first thing he does is he does the sign of the cross Then he folds his hand in prayer and he holds it up like this as as if he's employing the tennis gods to uh, give him some more shots like he just hit. You know, you may be able to perform the sign of the cross. You may be able to fold your hands in prayer. Or to put it into what Jesus said in this text, you may be able to prophesy, drive out demons, and perform miracles but what jesus is going to say to us if that's all we can do is the religious rituals and if we can say oh i've got the right belief or the right doctrine but we don't ever put it into practice jesus's words back to us are going to be then i will tell them plainly i never knew you away from me you evildoers." now if you keep on reading in this text we didn't read the last few verses of Matthew chapter 7 but if you keep on reading you see that Jesus commends the building of our lives on the solid foundation of obedience of practicing what we say we believe he gives us an example of a foolish man and a wise man they both build good quality houses here's the difference the wise man places his good quality built home on a good, solid foundation. The foolish man places his good quality built home on a dry riverbed. Guess what happens? The rainy season comes with its violent storms and the water washes away the weak foundation and the weak house and floods it completely. Now, if you focus the house only the rains are going to come and wash away the foundation and the house if you focus on saying or only doing all of the right things possessing all of the right doctrine and belief our lives are going to wash away if we don't put into practice everything that Jesus said to do and to do it with the heart and the tone of Jesus I don't think it's any accident that when Matthew wrote his gospel that he ends it in chapter 28 with what we call the Great Commission. And in the Great Commission, Jesus instructs us to go and make disciples. And he even says that we should baptize them. And then he has this this word for us. And I hope you don't miss it. It says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you teaching them to obey everything i've commanded you so you see that's what this sermon is all about this morning it's my effort to teach you and to remind you that everything that jesus said to do he actually expected us to do it surprise 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 part of what this sermon is about this morning is to remind you that obedience is the narrow and the small and the hard path it's not easy and you need to understand that there are going to be a lot of cheerleaders standing along the road who will try to detour you over to the broad and wide road and here's what they'll tell you they will tell you hey all you gotta do is just say I believe in Jesus as my lord and savior Do it on Sunday and live like hell Monday through Saturday. A lot of the cheerleaders are going to tell you that. All you got to do is say you believe and then you live your life the way you want to. There are going to be a lot of cheerleaders along the side of the road who are going to tell you. And along with that, you might want to add a little bit of saying, oh yeah, I believe in this or that, right doctrine, right belief. But those cheerleaders... We'll forget to tell you that one of the things that Jesus invites his students to do, his disciples, his followers, is to do everything that he said to do. Obedience. It's not something we can bypass if we're going to take Jesus seriously. I I read some time ago about a pastor who, who wrote about attending a family reunion with his wife's family. During that day-long family reunion event, he wrote about seeing a a young boy. He, He estimated that the young man was about, he thought, six to seven years old. He was fairly large for his age, it seemed. He was very well behaved. And the pastor wrote that never one time during that entire day of the family reunion did he watch this young man's parents correct him. He was just perfect behavior that day. But the pastor said that he wondered if that had always been the case. Because the little boy was wearing a t-shirt that day that read, Whatever it is, I didn't do it. Whatever it is, I didn't do it. You know, when it comes to taking obedience seriously... I wonder if you and I maybe need to wear a t-shirt like that, except I would suggest we change the words to read, whatever it is, I did it, in Jesus' name. Friends, we're going to sing our hymn of response this morning, Come, Enter by the Narrow Gate, The hymn is not in our hymnal, so we'll depend on the screen to direct us as we sing it together. And as we sing that hymn this morning, the invitation for you certainly is that if you've never made that decision to make Jesus the Savior and Lord, it's something you ought to do. But I think the invitation goes beyond this because, you know, making Jesus Savior is really important. But when you say you're making him the Lord, it means you're making him the leader, It means he's the one in charge. And if he's in charge of our lives, he knows what's best. So it really makes sense to do everything that he taught us to do given that he knows what's best for us. That's part of what it means to making him the leader, the guide, the Lord, the master. I really believe that there's a lot of Christians who have bought hook, line, and sinker. It's okay. It's acceptable to making him Savior. But they've left out lordship.